All interviews done on Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast, are brought to you by FanMail, the subscription box by Lady Geeks for Lady Geeks. FanMail is a bi-monthly mystery box for Lady Geeks, geared towards Lady Geeks, and I think you are really going to like it. If you have a fandom and you're looking for some cool stuff that's out of the box and unique to you and uh, the people that subscribe to this, you definitely want to check this out. Once again, it is myfanmail.com, the bi-monthly mystery box for Lady Geeks. Right now, you can use promo code MAYDAY to get 10% off your first box, myfanmail.com. Welcome to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. This is Justin, co-host of the podcast. Very excited to be able to bring you this interview with Yvonne Strahovski. We were so excited to have her on the show. Uh, we are making a big announcement right now that one of the other people we interviewed, Ann Crabtree, who is the lead costume designer for the Handmaid's Tale, is going to be a guest judge for our costume contest. Uh, we thought that it would be a fun idea to kind of take this Handmaid's costume that's been used so much even before the show started to as a amazing form of protest and a way for women to get the word out there about not wanting to let reproductive rights and women's rights in general be completely trampled over by government officials uh we love it we have covered it we support you all 1000 percent. but what we wanted to do is do something fun around that i mean you you're protesting and putting in the hard work and we wanted to give something that said, okay, this is great. Let's do something fun for this and you know, have prizes and have Ann Crabtree judge it. She's the one who created this look for the show. Who better to have judge this and get involved than her? So please check that out. And if you have a person who knows somebody that does these costumes or is in a protest group, have them submit it. We want to get everybody, as many people as we can involved. We're going to have three categories for you to get involved with. It's going to be individual. Uh, so if you have a costume, your group, if you have a, co- a costume group or cosplay group or even just a family costume group that you're going to do, that's Handmaid's Tale. Go ahead and send that to us. And of course, pets. Lots of people like to dress up their pets. We want to have a contest for that too. So there will be lots of stuff that you can do, lots of ways to get involved. Just follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Handmade Podcast, and we will have updates all the time. So once again, Handmaid's Tale Costume Contest. Please get involved. Please submit to us. Just follow us on social media for all the details. So wanted to thank everyone who has come here. And if you're a first-time listener to this podcast, please subscribe to us. We appreciate you finding us, but would love to, for you to stay connected with us. We do lots of interviews and lots of content. Uh, we cover everything, all the angles of The Handmaid's Tale and all the issues surrounding it. So please subscribe to stay connected with us and all of the content that we put out so you just get it automatically when we throw it out there. Without further ado, here is our interview with Yvonne Strahovski. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Justin and Tiana from Mayday the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Joining us today is Yvonne Strahovski. Uh, you would know her as Serena Joy from The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, she is going to join us today for an interview to talk all things Serena Joy Handmaid's Tale, and much more. Uh, Yvonne, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm a little sniffly. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm good. <laughs> um, so first thing we wanted to do, we, uh, we're very excited to be able to get the opportunity to interview you. And we threw out there on all our social media users and said, hey, we're interviewing Yvonne, Yvonne Strahovski. Please uh, submit a question and we'll choose one from um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So uh, without further ado, I would like to get these answered so that we can make our social media people happy because I know they're very excited to hear from you. Um, this first question is from our Facebook user, Joe Santa Cruz. 
And his question was, with the way your career has blossomed, where do you see yourself in 10 years still acting or maybe producing your own work? Oh, I probably, I mean, hopefully I'll still be acting. Um, and yeah, I, I would like to produce some stuff as well. That's definitely been on my mind. Um, you know, just reading, reading books and reading stuff that could potentially, uh, be a project that I might be interested in down the line and not be in front of the camera for. Yeah. Um, definitely interested in both. Is there any particular book you're reading that just struck your fancy? What kind of works are you attracted to? Um, I mean, I'm kind of just reading stuff to see what's out there really at this point. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not like genre specific or anything. I'm just kind of seeing, seeing what's out there. Cool. Our second question is from our Twitter user, Julie Marco. Uh, she asks, has working on The Handmaid's Tale altered your perception of the world around you? Do you see things differently after having spent a year in that world? Um, I think just being a part of the show has definitely made me more politically aware. Um, I didn't really grow up being too interested in politics, but uh, it's it's really hard not to be politically aware when you're working on something like The Handmaid's Tale and playing a character like Serena Joy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's definitely sort of awakened, awakened that. And what was it like? Because I know a lot of political things were happening around the production of the show with the, you know, the Handmaid's protests that were going on and obviously the presidential election here in the States. So what was it like for you being sort of, I guess, maybe classified as the villain of the show, um, being on that side of it? And how did, since you weren't necessarily a political person growing up, what was it like to see all that going on while you were doing the production? It was really kind of surreal, actually, you know, um, filming it and sort of uh, joking around on set as to, you know, what, how the election might turn out and how it might influence the show. Uh, you know, at the time, little did we know that the election was going to, was going to go a certain way. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I feel like with everything that's arisen out of it, it has certainly become very impactful, obviously. I mean, I, I talk to people and, it's interesting to hear everyone's different takes and how people have been deeply affected by the show just because of the parallels that it presents. Um, and myself too, you know, um, even just going to the women's March alone here in Toronto while we were shooting, that was, that was a big deal. Yeah. How was that? That's interesting. So you, you attended the women's March in Toronto when you were doing the show? Yeah, we were, but, you know, and obviously Handmaids hadn't come out yet and our show hadn't, but, you know, you could, you could see Handmaids sell signs, uh, floating around in the crowd, uh, obviously because the book has been around for so long. Um, so it was just so interesting to, to see that already arising as part of a protest and, and just kind of knowing that here we were making this show that hadn't yet hit the public and, and imagining how hard it could hit the public, and, and, it, and it did. Do you think that being involved with those things and seeing them happening around you during filming has affected the way you approach the work of the show? Um, you know, to be honest, no. I, because I, like with any character, I usually just sort of take a very internal approach with it and, and just try and figure out, you know, the human in the character. and. Um, Sort of more the emotional melody of of 
of her, of Serena. Um, but, and that's sort of the first and foremost thing uh, that, that happens. The rest is, I guess, sort of a bonus in a way. Um, but it wasn't like I was directly sort of, you know, pulling from real life political characters <laughs> off of, you know, the news or anything like that. Um, you know, influencing my take on Serena, but then ironically, you know, in the aftermath of it all, there have been a lot of parallels to, you know, the Ivanka Trumps and the Kellyanne, you know, all that stuff. It, it was definitely, um, a strong parallel for, for a lot of people. And that, that dovetails kind of right into our third question here from our Instagram user. Uh, his name is, these are always my favorites, the, the handles. A dog named Riggins is our Instagram user. And his question, or hers, I'm not sure, uh, was how important was it to bring humanity to the character of Serena Joy? Um, I thought your acting was amazing because I actually felt sad for Serena Joy, even though I hated her. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I mean that that was definitely <laughs> something that I that I wanted uh I wanted to, you know, make her as human as I possibly could, which proved to be very challenging in a way just because she is so evil on paper and um you know, we did expand her in the show obviously, um in Springboard off of the book into sort of a more elaborate um description of Serena Joy throughout the series. Um, but it was, it was hard because I don't, um, I just, I don't relate to her and I find it really hard to, to relate to her at all. So, um, that it was really kind of like about digging deep and, and, and figuring out, you know, where she was coming from and just as a normal, as a human, you know, on a, on a human level, how, how would she be, how would anyone be if they knew that their husband wasn't faithful? And then if they knew that their husband, you know, now had to do this act uh, in front of Serena, you know, with the other handmaid and, and how does that all affect people just on a primal level and sort of and build up from that? So that, that was one of the questions I was going to ask. Um, Cause there is this debate over <clears throat> amongst the fans of the show um, specifically, uh, I'm sure it's elsewhere, but as far as feeling sympathy for Serena Joy, because she, you know, she's kind of caught between uh, this world she helped create, but is now not necessarily benefiting from other than being not having to be a handmaid or some other lower class woman. Um, but she also hasn't gotten any of the any of the rewards or benefits from it that I think she anticipated. Um, and so I was just curious mm-hmm. as to how you felt about people feeling sympathy for her and was that something you feel as the character does she deserve that I mean I think she's definitely um the architect of her own prison you know I she she put herself in that position she used it to her advantage that she was in the group of people that wasn't going to be um in a worse situation and uh you know, but but little did she know that she was going to be in a prison herself. So it's this weird, I think, duality of um, knowing that she did that to herself, but also sort of screaming against it. And I think she's kind of in a spot where she doesn't. I think she knows that she's done it to herself, but she doesn't want to acknowledge it. And I and I think that's the fight, and that's the rage, and. 
and that's the helplessness and, um, you know, and, and the carrying on, you know, and, and using offer it as a punching bag, um, you know, to, to her bottled up emotions. I don't, I mean, <laughs> the whole world of Gilead is so creepy to me. So I, <laughs> you're not alone. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like she, you know, in essence, deserves anything great to come out of it. I think, you know, she's in this mess now, and it'd be interesting to see her climb out of it in a a more moral way, you know, with more integrity than she has right now. Um, Because she's a smart lady. She's very smart. I just don't know that she's willing to put herself at risk to have more integrity and, and change things around her right now. She's sort of still riding the wave and holding on to that little beacon of hope that she has, which is, you know, getting this child. And I think in her mind, the child is going to make everything better for her and all her worries will go away. But, you know, that's also something she's not realizing is that that is also a band aid solution for her. So, yeah. Sure. And that kind of gets us to one of these most one of the most impactful moments I thought from the season was that scene where she's on the ground kneeling down with the pregnancy test that she has from offer it and is just like praying to you know for it to be positive and I talked about on the podcast how you kind of have this duality going on there with Serena Joy praying for it to be positive and then in my opinion probably uh, offer it in the bathroom against the bathtub praying for it most likely not to be positive um and that kind of flows into how you talked about her redeeming herself and Tiana had a question about, you know, the character development beyond the book in season two. Yeah. So I, I'm really interested to hear how you think the casting of Mr. And Mrs. Waterford as much younger, obviously because you are than their book counterparts. They're, they're similar in age to offer it in the other handmaids. So how do you think that has changed the character dynamics from the book to the show? Uh, I think it's changed it a lot. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot, because especially between Serena and Alfred, it just, it puts the fertility aspect of everything really at the forefront of everyone's mind because Serena is, unlike the book, she is of the age where she could have a child herself, but she can't, and she needs Alfred to do that. So there's a lot of swirling emotions, I think, around that in itself. You know, there's a lot of jealousy, um, and the, uh, you know, despair, anger, I mean, all, all that stuff that you see in that first season that, you know, Serena sort of, you know, all her anger and those emotions creep out every so often, uh, I think is definitely centered around, you know, a, a lot of things, but one of those things being that fertility aspect that is really right there because they're both the same age. Yeah, do you think that really helped um, make her a more sympathetic character because people could relate to, you know, maybe maybe being of that age and not able to conceive or carry or understanding more that it's not just about power and possession of her husband? Yeah, I, I think definitely. Oh, that makes her, yeah. yeah, more relatable for sure. That's definitely an aspect. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe the only one. No, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say uh, she's a she's been a really interesting character in the show in that she is so much more sympathetic than in the book, but she still does such terrible things. 
Yeah, I think she's she's so conflicted, you know. I just think there's so much going on in there of, you know, I, I think she also has that religious guilt, you know, that she has grown up with. She's obviously very strict in, in her religion and how, however she was raised and now she's here in the society and she's trying to follow the rules of society and, and of her religion, um, but maybe maybe failing at that. And then when she fails, maybe she feels guilty, but then, you know, when she acts out, that's her, her human side, her emotions that she doesn't know what to do with, you know, it's, it's a world sort of designed to, um, to have you fail in it for everyone really, you know, including Serena, there's no outlet. You can't, you can't just go and have a conversation with someone like you would with a friend or, you know, a therapist or uh, any, anyone, you know, it's, it's just, everything is, is going against you in that kind of a setup. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see the progression. And I know Tiana had some question about um, her character development in season two. Now that we are beyond the book, Tiana, do you want to take that? Yeah. So uh, now that you are getting to develop this character beyond the book, do you have any uh, hope, things that you're hoping we'll, we'll get to know more about Serena or about see more of her relationship with any particular character? I mean, it's, I would just kind of love to dive deeper into her and, and, and see her walls crumble a little, you know, I mean, you know, if they haven't already, I, I just think there, there's um, so much more to discover with, with her and how far would she actually go? Um, and, and what would happen if she, if she did get a baby and, um, you know, then what, I mean, then she's still in the same situation and, you know, and then what, then what happens? Um, does she realize that she needs to make, you know, really big changes and, or does she stay in support of the society that is around her? You know, it's all those, um, scenarios that come to mind that sort of break down the character as we get to know them and, um, I think what's interesting about the show is is it's sort of pitted to you can break down anyone really in any because there's there's so much tension and the walls are so high that any kind of challenging situation or any situation becomes challenging because the stakes are so high and you can see people break down um, quite easily, you know. So, do Do you think that if Serena Joy could leave, would she? I mean, that's a really interesting question. I, I, you know, maybe. I mean, I just think the fact alone of her, you know, just her relationship with the commander, um, you know, after season one, I, I don't, you know, who knows if that is salvageable or not in her mind. Um, there's just been so much betrayal and so much, mistrust but then she's very invested in in her religious uh side so you know maybe the forgiveness aspect of that would would allow her to continue in the society and not run away i don't i don't know it's really interesting (laughs) i mean me (laughs) the actress playing serena would (laughs) want her to run away uh, <laughs> a long time ago. I don't know. Would have been asking Nick to get the van for you, right? <laughs> Give me the yeah, hell out of here. I mean, I try to spend as little time as possible with Serena. Just cause she's 
miserable. And so that was kind of a question I had. And for her being, you know, as I said, the villain and doing so many evil things as you uh, are as capable of so much evil, even though she is a very nuanced character. And I think a lot of the debate exists because the character is so well written and is one of more one of the more complex characters um, storyline and just the way they've written her is brilliant. Uh, so my question is playing somebody that is that evil. What was that like for you and where, how did you have to dig and how did you create that, that character? I mean, it's a lot of just like sitting with it, you know, and trying to figure out where, where could it possibly be coming from, you know, and it, it's, it's weird because I don't, I don't support it. Like I don't, it's one of the first times, I mean, that I have played someone so unlikable. Um, so it, it's kind of perplexing in a way when you, you know, you have the material in front of you, the script, and you're reading it. And you have to really kind of start justifying someone's horrible behavior because you're playing this person. But at the same time, you, the person, is completely disagreeing with the justifications that you're coming up with but somehow you have to find some kind of a justification for it otherwise it's not going to work and people are not going to see you know into Serena like like I wanted them to you know I wanted them to see what makes her tick what makes her cry what is her Achilles heel what what makes her vulnerable and you know and yeah the writing is amazing and, and they've allowed for Serena to to be such a complex and layered character so um, yeah, it, it's, it's really kind of, uh, <laughs> it's a weird process cause I'm, I'm going through a process of, of making sense of all her actions when really I, I don't want to. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you hear, you know, there's varying things. You always hear actors talk about some actors really enjoy playing the bad guy or the villain. And then some actors, you know, uh, one of the more famous ones is Heath Ledger who, you know, found it really hard to deal with being someone that dark. Um, so do you lie somewhere in the middle of that? Is it hard for you to get out of that Serena Joy mindset when you're done playing her? Or is it one of those things where you're like, oh my God, I'm done. I can just throw that to the side. I mean, I, it, you know, for the first season, I, it was hard to just throw her to the side because where I'm kind of discovering her, you know, as I go along and as the scripts come in, there's always something new that I'm thinking, huh, you know, how do how are we going to do this one? You know, uh, where, where is, is this coming from? So it was always kind of like, you know, having a little puzzle in front of me and I, and, and it was always on my mind really. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here 24 seven, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to have a life and do my own things as well, but it, it does creep in, you know, she creeps in, she hangs out in my brain. Um, so I do have to take, active breaks from her. I think this, this time around in season two, it's a little easier because I spent time with her. I know her, I know what she's like. Um, you know, so I was kind of surprised when we had our first day on set. Um, or when I had my first day on set for this season two, I, I was wondering, you know, how long it would take to sort of really feel her come back. And she was right there. <laughs> so it's a, it took a second and there she was. So I was sort of relieved because, you know, I don't, it, it's not so much of a struggle in a way to, to, to be with her and spend time with her. Um, even though I know I'm still going to discover many things about her, at least the framework and the structure is already there. 
um, and maybe maybe I don't have to spend so much time trying to um, put the puzzle together this time around. Hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that, that kind of flows into one of my next questions in dealing with Serena Joy in your head and in, you know, as having played this character, um, I'm always interested because when people play, actors and actresses play these darker parts, has the public perception of you, um, if someone sees you out on the street uh, or, you know, anyone you know, have they, do they approach you differently? Have you gotten any negative reactions because you're Serena Joy or the person that does these mean things on the show? You know, I haven't. I it's it's been really lovely, actually. And most people do say what you said at the start, um, which is, you know, they hate her so much, but but they feel sorry for her at the same time, or they 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 want to hate her more, but they there is something about her that they can't hate exactly. So it that's been really um, it's been really lovely feedback to hear because that was you know definitely as I said one of the goals. Um, was to, to really try to humanize her and not just make her the, the evil person that was really easy to hate, you know, because um, it would have been really easy to hate someone like Serena Joy oh, um, completely, you know, without any empathy, without any sympathy for this character. So that's been really, really nice to hear. Well, that's good. I, I, I always find it amusing, you know, in a, in a terrible kind of way that actors kind of, suffer for their roles in public if you know if you've played this bad person so i'm glad that that hasn't uh uh happened to you that's that's good <laughs> yeah i'm yet to have someone throw rotten rotten fruit at my face excellent excellent that's a good start <laughs> let's hope we don't get there uh and one of the so one of the yeah. other things we wanted to talk to and this kind of goes into the more of the production value and the production of the handmaid's tale uh we had the opportunity to interview ann crabtree back in july and we talked to her yeah. just about, you know, the costumes and all of the stuff going on, especially with the Handmaid's Protest. And I know Tiana had a question that she wanted to ask regarding the costumes for Serena Joy. Yeah. So uh, Anne Crabtree's costuming for this show has become so well known and uh, recognizable that it's kind of become its own character within the show, the different individual costumes for the case of characters. Um, mm-hmm. how did wearing Serena Joy's wardrobe, uh, affect your performance with it particularly transforming? Anne is so wonderful. She's so intuitive and, uh, she really, you know, she has a very strong concept, obviously. I mean, as you said, it, it's definitely become its own sort of character in the show, um, she had this great idea of sort of building Serena up and, you know, creating those higher necklines and, um, and all of and that. The shoes. Well, we're going to talk yeah, about the shoes. the shoes. I have a particular yeah. fascination with the shoes and I need to have that yeah. question answered. So go, go ahead. <laughs> I have a question about the high heels. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's great to, you know, have, it's like a uniform that I, that I put on every day and, and the costumes always affect actors, I think deeply, you know, once you put something on, you sort of feel complete in a way. Um, and definitely because of the strength of the costumes here, it's, um, it, it definitely adds to the, to the, you know, the posture, the way that I walk, um, the way that I hold hold myself, my my arms, you know, my hands, it's all it's all part of it. The weight of the material as well, and the texture of it, um, which is something I I feel, and not necessarily maybe the audience feels. But I'm feeling the weight of it when I wear it, um, and the contrast of of what I'm wearing with everybody else, you know, the colors and 
how we all contrast or blend together. It's um, it all adds to you know visually. It all adds to to every sort of sense that you're playing with when you're you know working. So this goes right into my high heel question. So, and I even asked Ann Crabtree specifically, and she didn't really have an answer for me. So I found it fascinating that at least what it appears on the surface is that all of the um, wives are taller than the handmaids, and it seems to be that way because they all have relatively high high heel shoes. Um, I particularly noticed yeah. it on you. Um, you're already a tall person, but I also noticed it on uh, when. Um, Madeline Brewer's character, Janine, goes to her new family, and they're getting ready to do the ceremony, and the wife there steps out of her shoes and drops about six inches um, in height, <laughs> and so then she gets on the bed, and so I was curious, as, was that a, a conscious effort to kind of make this actual physical um, towering over the handmaids as you know, kind of a symbolic power move, or was that just something that happened? I was just really curious. You know, I, our high heels are not that high, so it's it's interesting. I, I actually have to say that maybe it's a coincidental thing that the wives are just taller. <laughs> <laughs> We're just taller. I don't know. It's just coincidentally, you know. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that's just interesting because we're not wearing, we're definitely not wearing six inch high heels. You know, I think I'm barely wearing two inches, Um, but I'm tall already as it is. And I know um, Edgar who plays Naomi Putnam is, is tall. Like we're both the same height, Mm -hmm. I think around about. And um, some of the other wives that we've had in the scenes, I don't know, maybe consciously they specifically said, make sure they're tall people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who knows? Uh, but it is that's that's it looks really amazing on on screen when you have these wives towering over the the handmaids, but we're definitely not wearing six inch heels. Interesting. Okay, then the, again, that could just be my yeah. misperception. That's fine. Well, um, so, and a lot of it could just have to do with the way that the costuming is affecting people's stature. You know, the the handmaids are playing literally subjugated characters, and they're wearing very much more utilitarian clothing than the wives who are wearing this much more regal. Type of type of get up where you know, mm. as you mentioned, you know, makes you stand Leaker. up straighter and affects your your overall posture and bearing. Yeah, that's definitely sleeker and um, more streamlined. Yeah, for sure. So my next question is: We talked to uh, Warren Littlefield back in uh, I think early September, and he we were talking about the you know importance of production value. And obviously, your show won an award for production uh, design. And he talked about the importance of the production uh, design around the set and within this world to create this world, not only for the audience, but also for the actors and actresses. So can you talk to us about how important and how well done uh, The Handmaid's Tale was versus other shows you worked on as far as creating this world for the actors so that they really felt like this is where they were? And how does that affect you know you as a performer? I think they did such a wonderful job. I mean, it's it's really hard to do what they did, you know, to make this world that is believable when you're watching it as an audience member, because um, it's it's such a strong concept and it's you know this dystopian uh, novel. It's really hard to breathe realistic life into that and and um, make it seem so so streamlined. And, uh, I, I, I mean, that's what they did really beautifully. Uh, it, 
it feels like every detail has been looked at. And, and that's what I used to always say at the start, you know, when we, that ev- everything, you know, from the costumes to the production, to the writing, to the directing, um, there was no leaf left unturned, you know, it was really, really thoroughly thought through. Um, I mean, it, it's wonderful to walk into the set and have all the details of the Waterford house, you know, so beautifully executed because um, it is it's funny it, it is beautiful um, but yet it's such a dark place at the same time because of what's going on there so it's such a lovely contrast to 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 the society and and the actions of it uh, versus what they've done with that production design which is actually quite beautiful especially in the in the commander's houses you know with their wives yeah, it is. And I, you know, I will tell anybody that I talked to that I thought the production value, the cinematography, just the way everything was done was on par easily with anything I've seen, you know, on the big screen, let alone a television show. Um, do you see that shift um, over your career? Do you notice um, with TV kind of taking the reins creatively for a lot of people as being a uh, much more, I don't know, a rewarding outlet for um uh, actors and actresses you're seeing more big names do tv shows um as opposed to you know the movies which they still do um how has that changed uh, throughout your career and what are you seeing on that end i think it's definitely changed uh you know i've been i've been here for almost 11 years in the states and uh you know at some point in the last 10 years the, the amount of movies that they used to make was was greater and it it dropped you know it has dropped a lot but you know because things are changing so much in in how we deliver entertainment you know there's so many more outlets um i mean even hulu in itself you know that that was never around um when i first started things like netflix and hulu and all these new platforms are developing that are able to create their own content you know and um there's just so much more variety i think so there's there's so much that's there's many more ways than than just a movie to to present your your um your show you know um but the the production value seems to be so great in um in television and i i don't know if that has something to do with with these new platforms who are wanting to put themselves on the map and so um they tend to have maybe bigger budgets than your traditional form of um, entertainment, like network television, perhaps maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I'm sort of thinking out loud right now, but that would make sense, you know, and um, I think maybe creatively there's a little more freedom. um, And I think creators are attracted to that, um, including uh, well-known directors and well-known actors and actresses who we're typically used to seeing on our movie screens. Um, want to want to come and be more creative and have a little bit more freedom uh on on something like a television show uh on a new platform you know so i i think there's a, there's a lot you know that's that's crafted it to be this way but those are some of the things that definitely come to my mind when i think about it yeah it's it's definitely kind of a transition period right now because it's hard even to talk about Netflix as you know we kind of think of it because you watch it on TV as a TV show but it's not necessarily that's not the model they're taking there you know they're doing both you know kind of miniseries they're doing movies and so it's a very interesting the you know landscape uh, right now 
Yeah, as, as you were just discussing, the production value is so good and such interesting stories are being told on these platforms that are, you know, not necessarily even appearing on a television. Um, are you seeing as an actress the roles really developing and, and more interesting roles being offered for women and overall? Yeah, I mean, definitely there is... Um, I mean, I hate to call it a trend, but there's there's just been a lot more awareness, obviously, um, about women and the lack of women's stories and, um, you know, attention paid to that. And I, and I think that's definitely, that awareness um, is turning into uh, a desire and a need for people to uh, see female stories being told. Um, you know, it's the reason why we, we're having more diversity now also, you know, people, that's what people want. And and definitely, I think there's a need, you know, this goes hand in hand with that. I think there's a, there is a need for more uh, raw material, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a certain politeness, I think, that has come traditionally with television, um, just based on, you know, the, the standard rules of um, not a lot of swearing, not a lot of nudity, you know it just sort of is a bit more um, restrictive. And, and, and I think people are getting a taste for things that are more raw and in your face and a little more brutal in their, in their storytelling. And I think that's what people want, you know? So uh, that's, I mean, that's why we're seeing things like The Handmaid's Tale and, and other things that are coming out um, that really are more impactful because they're, they're going beyond the rules, so, you know, they're breaking the rules and that, you know, hand in hand with the, the, with the need and desire for female stories to be told um, is, is very powerful right now. And it's really exciting actually, because it's just sort of feels like we're just beginning to stir that pot. We, we haven't really, you know, gotten deep into it. I'm really excited to see what is going to come out in the next few years, you know, this kind of storytelling. Yeah, it's a very it's very interesting and I think Warren Littlefield referred to it as the platinum age of television and uh you know content right now is just at an all-time high so and for the most part I would say um really high quality things being produced. So I hope it trends that way. You're always going to have things that fall off for various reasons and don't succeed, but I I think right now we're uh, it's a good time to be uh, someone who is involved and watching uh t- television and movies these days. So let's talk about you were okay. talking about there being more diverse content and darker content. Um, and from what we're hearing about season two of The Handmaid's Tale, uh, it is going to be, if this is possible, darker. Um, we've heard things from uh, Samara <laughs> Wiley in different interviews who was like, OK, you guys, uh, it's not going to get any easier. So what can you tell us? And I know, obviously, there's a limited amount that you can say about the production of season two going on. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Allegedly, things are going to get a little darker. Uh, I mean, yeah, (laughs) when I first, when I read the first script, I thought, oh yeah, they're not, they're not really letting up, um, (laughs) on all of us. Uh, so yeah, it, you know, they're definitely, uh, still there in the darkness of it all. Um, and I mean, look, I know, I know from, you know, just talking with the writers and and Bruce Miller, how powerful the the book is and how much of an influence it has on them and, and just how much it seems like it's, it's sort of an endless, endless pot of information and inspiration. And, you know, Bruce has always said, 
you know, you read one sentence in the book and you can write a whole episode around it. So, um, I think there's definitely going to be, uh, you know, things that, that are, you know, in the book and not, not in the book also. So yeah, that's probably as far as I can go with answering that. (laughs) All right. So regarding the, the regarding the book, uh, previous to you being cast and uh, reading the script for this, uh, had you read the book? And if you hadn't, once you did, have you read the book and what did you think of that material? I had not read the book. I actually read the first three scripts of the show before I ever read the book. Um, and then, of course, I read the book, and I i think I read it in two days. It was uh, very quick because it was so amazing. I was really <laughs> uh, taken with the with you know, the descriptions and and how she, how she describes the world and and the people and and the comparisons that she uses are, it was very um, sensory. You know, I I found that, you know, reading it, I could, I could smell things and I could taste things just in the way that Margaret Atwood uses language in the book. Um, So I was really, I was really taken with it. Um, So it was a really uh, amazing sort of inspiration or the tone of the show, um, and then that coupled with the the scripts that I was getting, you know, and um, how we got to dive deeper into Serena was was very exciting for me. And what I know, Margaret Atwood spent some time on the set, and she's obviously a consulting producer. What was, did she ever give you any uh, thoughts on your your take on Serena Joy? No, she's, we've never, uh, we've never talked about it. I've, I've not really spent that much time with her actually. So, uh, I don't, I don't know actually what she thinks entirely. So that'd be nice to one day maybe have a cup of coffee and, and hear about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you'll have to let us know if that ever happens. Cause that would be a conversation we'd love to be privy to. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Yvonne, I think that that wraps it up for us, and we really do appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us here on Mayday the Handmaid's Tale podcast. No, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Mayday is brought to you by our October podcast partners. Our small business podcast partner this month is jordandene.com. That is jordan, D-E-N-E.com. Uh, she runs an apparel and accessories company. Uh, it is fantastic stuff. If you have a fandom, you should go check this out. Uh, this is functional fandom items. So these are t-shirts, accessories, aprons, all kinds of great things that are themed around fandoms but aren't your everyday looking stuff. Uh, you can wear this stuff every day. They're totally fashionable and functional, and I think you will really like what you see. If you have children, they have a kids section that has all kinds of cool stuff. Onesies, kids t-shirts, uh, crayon bandoliers, which I think are one of the coolest, most unique things I've ever seen. So definitely go check them out. Uh, JordanDenae.com. Once again, it's J-O-R-D-A-N, like Jordan, uh, D-E-N-E.com. Our organization podcast partner this month is NARAL Missouri. They are Missouri's largest grassroots pro-choice organization working to protect a woman's right to a full range of reproductive health care for over 40 years. They are doing some amazing work. Um, you might have seen us live stream uh, an event that they were at where they had their handmade protest group. Look for more on that as the month goes on. For more information about them, you can go to ProChoiceMissouri.org. That's ProChoiceMissouri.org to get more information about NARAL, Missouri. Lastly, our wild card, and this one I am very excited to introduce you all to. Um, 
It is called Geek Girl Brunch. You can find out all about them if you visit their website, geekgirlbrunch.com. This was something that is really cool. Very grassroots. Started uh, up in New York City by three women who were looking to start a women's only uh, brunch group to just talk about geeky stuff and do geeky stuff with fandoms and all kinds of things. Uh, so now it has kind of exploded and they have chapters all over the country in the United States. There might be one in your city. You don't know. Um, or a lot of international. There's some in Iceland, Tokyo, just all over the place. So you can visit them, geekgirlbrunch.com. They have a map and a list of their chapters. You can also apply to start a chapter in your city if this is something you are interested in. Um, so visit geekgirlbrunch.com, find your local chapter or start a local chapter. That is geekgirlbrunch.com. Check them out. So once again, those are our October podcast partners. Thank you to all of them, and we're really excited to promote them and push out some uh, good people doing really cool stuff. This is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Please head over to allconsumingcontent.com for more great podcasts. You can check out Back to the Money Bin, a DuckTales podcast, Player vs. Player podcast, and Blues Hockey podcast. You can also check out our radio station at Handmaid's Resistance Radio. That is on Slacker Radio or for free on the Slacker app.